Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Theology Central Podcast. It is Sunday, July the 3rd, 2022. It is currently 3 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, wait, wait, where, where's the intro? Where, Where's that professional introduction? Where is it? Where is that dramatic and epic introduction music that you use for a different series? Where, where is the intro? I, I want at least one of them. I'm sorry, you don't, you don't get either intro today. And here's the reason why. And my studio software, where I can either uh, play our intro or play audio that we're going to review, I only have two spots that I can upload something to, only two. And guess what? I have both of them full. I have both of them filled with audio that we're going to be listening to. Both slots have audio ready to go, and neither one of them is my intro. So no professional intro today for this episode. I'm very sorry to disappoint you. I know, I know, I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, that's the only professional thing about the program is the introduction. Everything else is complete garbage and everything else is amateur hour. So I don't, I'm not, I know you already stopped listening. Uh, Okay. Well, I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's all I have. I just have two spots. I just have two slots here and both of them, well, they have audio in it. You want to hear that, right? You, you want to hear? Okay, okay. Stick around just to hear what I have ready to go. Is that is that a is that a reason for you to stick around? I hope so. I hope so. But welcome, everyone. I hope you're having a great day. I I don't know exactly where this episode's going to end up, but it should be fun. It should be fun. It should be fun finding out where we're going to end up. Maybe, maybe. I hope so. I hope so. If if I can't speak correctly, it's not going to be any fun. Or I don't know, maybe that would be fun. Maybe, maybe it would be fun just hearing me say everything incorrectly. I don't know. But are you ready? All right. Here's what happened. Church ended at Victory Baptist Church, which is located in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Everyone finally left the sanctuary. The lights were turned off. The door was locked. And I got in my car. Now, the first thing I did, the first thing I do when I get in my car is I always at least just a brief panic, making sure, okay, do I have everything? Okay, do I have all of, because I always carry so many books and so many things to the church with me. Usually I've got more notebooks, more books, more Bibles than I actually need, but I always feel like I need to have everything with me. So I, I, I may, I, I, as soon as I get in the car, the first thing I'm like, okay, do I have that Bible? Do I have that book? Do I have that notebook? Oh, wait, do I have my iPad? Wait, do I have the laptop? Because if I get home and realize I don't have everything, it's a 20-minute drive all the way back to the church and a 20-minute drive all the way back home. So I'd be, you know, basically 40 minutes of wasted time going to get something that I simply left in the sanctuary. So I verified, okay, I've got everything and I felt confident. And then I got ready to pull off, but I'm always I'm always worried that I left the door unlocked. I'm always like, you know what? If I if I didn't lock the door, then the church is just wide open here in the middle of nowhere. So I always stop and get back and I go check the door one more time because I, I just I I always I, I I always hate that feeling when I drive off. I start thinking, wait a minute, did I lock the door? Did I lock the door? So I don't know how many times I've made it like five, 10, 10 minutes down the road. And I can't, I just convince myself, I think you forgot to lock the door. So I will turn around, drive all the way back to the church and go, oh, nope, the door's locked. I don't think there's ever been a time I've driven back and it was unlocked, but I'm just always worried 
that I'm going to leave the door unlocked and we're going to come back and some, something bad is going to happen. It's going to be my fault. So I, I stopped, made sure the door was locked. Okay, good. Get back in the car. And then as soon as I start driving, I, I always kind of just go, <sighs> because I'm almost always going, man, I should have done this. The sermon didn't go this way. I wanted to say this and I said it the wrong way. And I, there's always just a little bit of, oh, man, okay, well, Sunday school went okay. Well, I don't know about the sermon because, you know, when I'm driving away, that's two hours basically of teaching. So I've just spent two hours teaching. So I'm a little bit just kind of, you know, <sighs> I, there's always a little bit of regret or wishing I could have done something a little different or wish it would have been a little bit better. So, but I, as soon as I kind of just breathed that out and set that aside, I'm like, okay, um, let's just, you know, I, I, I'm just going to drive home and not think about it and not worry about it. So I always drive home the, the back way so I, that I don't go through Tuscola, Texas. I don't go through any small town. I, I'm just, the whole drive all the way back to Abilene is just in the country. So I can see horses, the cattle, just, it's kind of peaceful. It's quiet. I just I just take the drive back and just try to reset and get my mind like, okay, th those sermons are over. Th those sermons are done. Whether they were good, whether they were bad, there's no going back. There's no redoing them. Now you've got to focus on what you're going to do the rest of the day. And most of you know what I do on Sunday, right? Then I come home, maybe get a little bit of food, rest for a few minutes, and then I'm right back up here to do hours of broadcasting. Sometimes then that means going back to church Sunday night, doing another hour of broadcasting. It's a long day of teaching, a long day of teaching. So I have to reset. So I I, I got ready to kind of start you know, changing my focus, but I thought, you know what? I just, instead of trying to think about anything else I'm going to do, let's, I need a little bit of a distraction. I need a little bit of distraction. So I reached over. I turned on the car radio, and as soon as I turned on the car radio, I mean, literally, the timing could not have been more perfect. I turned on the radio to 91.3 American Family Radio. This is one of the Christian radio networks in our local area. I turned it on. I knew which program would be on, but before I got to the program or anything, this is exactly what I heard. I mean, I know you're not going to believe it. It just played out this perfect, but this is exactly what I heard at the moment I turned on Christian radio today on my way home from church. Are you ready? This is exactly what I heard. Listen carefully, right? I want you to listen. And I, I, I well, if we had a group of people here in front of me, I would say, I would stop this and say, what did you pick up from that? What did you hear? Well, we'll just see. Are you ready? Here we go. This is what I heard. Are you excited to hear it? Okay, okay. See, if everything I've done has been not professional enough for you, this has to be professional because it aired on Christian radio, all right? It has to be professional. Here we go. This is what I heard on the way home from church just a few hours ago. As Galileans, we witnessed his first miracle. He warned us that a time of great deception would come. But we must hold on to our faith. That one day he would return to save us from the end of the world. 
most people don't believe that Jesus is coming back. What if there was evidence that proves that this is all real? Because there were so many people bringing up little bits and pieces of this. I'm thinking, there's got to be a pattern here. The Bible talks about it as being a mystery, but why does the rapture have to happen? What's the point to it all? A Galilean would have understood that perfectly. They are the key to everything. I'm just so stunned. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. This is the most profound discovery in human history. From his promise made through wine at the Last Supper, to why the world cannot know the day of his return. We were chosen to preserve the truth until the end of days. So even if we are not spared from death, others can unveil what we knew and believe. This discovery proves that he is coming back. Dramatic, right? I mean, that's dramatic. So as I was listening, I'm like, wait a minute, what what shocking discovery? They found they found the discovery that actually proves Jesus is coming back. What did they discover? And it sounds like it has something to do with the Galileans, right? The Galileans hold the key that like the Galileans would have understood it. So if we understand the Galileans, then we understand like what what is what was that? And I, I'm just driving the car going. Wait, okay, what just, okay, I'm trying to process it, right? Because I mean, I've just spent two hours teaching and I've got, I'm, I'm already trying to put that all aside with, you know, okay, I did okay, I didn't do okay. I'm just trying to forget all of that. And the next thing I'm like, boom, dramatic music, the most shocking discovery. We now have proof, or as someone said in the chat, finally, someone has it figured out. I know someone has it figured out. So I'm like, what, what is going on now? At, at the very second I turned it on, I, I, in my mind, I know what program was on because I, you know, I've, I've been turning on the radio now for years, driving home from church, so I kind of know what program's on. But when I heard that, my mind just completely forgot about the program, and I'm like, wait, what is this? Sounds like a trailer to like maybe a movie, a documentary. What is this? And then as soon as the trailer ended and they started talking, I'm like, oh, I know what program this is. This is Understanding the Times, all of Tree Ministries. I, we have talked about and played audio from them many times. I don't agree with everything they say, but they now they now air over, uh, I think they announced it uh, today. They've now expanded their radio coverage to well over 900 stations across the United States of America. And they just expanded like another 10 more today. They gave the list of all of them. They're on Christian radio stations all across the country. And they air usually two times in the weekend, uh, usually on Saturday and on Sunday. So two times every weekend, 
Uh, Understanding the Times by All the Tree, Tree Ministries airs on Christian radio. So there, I mean, that's influential. Over 900 radio stations is a very influential program. Plus, they're all over the place on podcast uh, apps and all over the internet. So whether we like them, whether we don't like them, whether we agree or whether we disagree, we have to at least pay somewhat of attention because this is what a lot of your Christian friends may hear if they listen to Christian radio or people you may meet have, they stumbled across the program and they're like, hey, did you hear today? Did you hear today? Did you hear the, that they, there's a shocking discovery that proves Jesus is coming back? Well, I want to know what this shocking thing is. Now, when, when they came back, uh, to the the actual program, I, I found this out. It is the trailer for a documentary called Before the Wrath, Before the Wrath. And I'm like, okay, I think that was released maybe like two years ago. I'd have to verify dates. But Before the Wrath, okay, so it's it's the trailer. Um, but they they had moved on. I guess they'd already played the trailer once, then they played it again, and then they kind of move on to other things. But I, they didn't really say anything about what the shocking discovery was or well, about the Galileans. I was still somewhat confused by the trailer itself. So here's what we're going to do. We're doing this in real time because, well, I didn't have, I mean, I, I drove home from church, I got food, and now here I am. So I haven't had any time to take this apart or investigate it. So I'm going to have you listen with me and see if we can figure this out. What I did is I immediately went to the Olive Trees uh, Ministries website, found the episode for today, downloaded it, uploaded it here in the other spot I have in my software, and we're just going to start playing it. And we're going to take it apart and see if we can figure out what did they discover? What did they find? Is it is this some new concept that I've never heard of before? Is it an old concept that I'm very familiar with that's being repackaged in a new way? Or is this some new concept, new, some new idea that's starting to show up in some circles of people who study eschatology? And we need to keep an eye out before it shows up in your church, my church, in, in your life, my life. Is it a good idea? Is it a good discovery? Is it a bad discovery? Is it biblical? Is it unbiblical? I don't know. I've got a million questions. I know this. They made it sound dramatic. I know this. They went all in to give us that, whoa, I've got to check out. I got to check that film out because I got to hear what they've discovered. Clearly they, they did it, you know, that way to, to get you to want to know what's going on. So I want to know what's going on. Now, the danger here is I may hit play and they may never even explain what this supposed mystery was. I'm, I'm counting on it. I'm hoping that somewhere in the first part of the program, they give us some clue. Galileans discovery. We have proof now that Jesus is coming back. And it sounds like they're just not talking about the Bible, right? Because of like, oh, it's a discovery. Well, I mean, we've had the Bible around for a long time. So are, did they discover something in the Bible that proves Jesus is coming back? I mean, I don't know. The scriptures that say, well, he's going to come back is not sufficient. What? I've got a million questions. So on this Sunday afternoon, July the 3rd, we're going to try to figure it out. Sounds good. Here we go. We're going to go to Olive Tree uh, Ministries for the episode that aired today. I think it would, I think it actually, if you subscribe to their podcast, which I do, I, t- I typically see it drop in one of my podcast apps somewhere around 
usually close to midnight, Friday night. Sometimes it may be around 1 a.m. is when I get the notification. And then a lot of times I'll listen to it that early Saturday morning to at least see what they're talking about. Most of the time I'm like, okay, whatever. Every once in a while I'll be like, oh, we've got to talk about this one. This one I'm just curious. So here we go. We're just going to start right at the beginning. I have no clue what we're getting ready to hear. I have no idea, but uh, we're going to find out together. So here we go. Because the pulpits are silent, the greatest news for the church is seldom heard. This is a film that has a story that is true. It's a true story, and it's based on real discoveries from the time of Christ, and it's something that has to be seen by the church, not something that the church should see, something the church in the U.S., all the church, regardless of your denomination, must see, and especially for pastors. Pastors have to see this film. Welcome to Understanding. Okay, so they talk about discovery from the time of Christ. All right, so we do, there is some discovery, but note what he said. You must see, as a pastor, I must see it. Every church must, not should, not should consider it. We must see it. Now, I always get nervous here, right? Because once again, it sounds like, okay, well, we've got the Bible, but no, 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 no. We have to see this film. We have to get it. We have to buy it. I, and again, I bet you, I, I could be wrong. Maybe they, maybe they removed all copyright. So maybe anyone can download the film and anyone can show it to their church. Maybe I'm going to, we'll have to investigate that. I'm hoping that's true. Because if you tell me I must see it, but for the low, low price of $24.95 or I've got to pay $500 to get a license so that I can show it to my church, well, then I'm going to call into question, you're you really feeling like it, I must see it. Because it sounds like, yeah, I'm going to call that into question. I could be wrong. I'm hoping that they've removed any copyright and that they want everyone to copy this and share it with as many people as possible and that they've not there's no license licensing fees that the church has to pay to do a public viewing of it. I'm hoping that is the case. Well, I I'm assuming they're going to let us know that here shortly, right? Because I mean there's no way they would be charging money for a film that we must see because they've found discoveries dating back to the time of Christ to help that gives us proof that Jesus is coming back. So the first issue is, it seems to be, I need something other than the Bible. And secondly, there's this, I must see it, but we'll have to see if, how, how, if they're going to really, are they really committed to that or are they charging? I'm going to back that up one more time. I know the volume to this is a little bit lower than the uh, trailer, but it's the way it is. So here we go. Let's back it up. Are you listening? Right. Tell everyone in your house to be quiet. Can I tell everybody, shh. Theology Central's on. Shh. We don't talk when Theology Central's on. Shh. Okay. And then that's probably be like, and you're never listening to Theology Central again. All right. All right. Here we go. Because the pulpits are silent, the greatest news for the church is seldom heard. This is a film that has a story that is true. It's a true story, and it's based on real discoveries from the time of Christ, and it's something that has to be seen by the church, not something that the church should see, something the church in the U.S., all the church, regardless of your denomination, must see, and especially for pastors. Pastors have to see this film. Welcome to Understanding the Times Radio with Jan Markell, brought to you by Olive Tree Ministries. 
Jan spends the hour today with film writer and producer Brent Miller Jr. of Ingenuity Films. We are carrying his latest production, titled Before the Wrath, a docudrama about the rapture of the church. If you think the rapture is not in the Bible, you are very wrong. It is portrayed in the Galilean Jewish wedding in the New Testament. The types, shadows, and symbols are stunning. Here are Jan Markell and Brent Miller to discuss this intriguing topic. Okay, so it sounds like that they have supposedly, this is where it seems to be going in my mind. Now, I could be completely wrong, so it's always dangerous for for me to interrupt and say something here, but I can't just play it straight through because then that would not be according to fair use. I would just be playing their program. I have to offer critique and analysis so that it's transformative, so it's something different than just what they presented, all right? So we're going to offer a little critique or analysis, and I could be wrong, and if I am, I will correct myself. Just stay with me. This is what I'm thinking, that what they are going to claim is that they've studied Galilean Jewish wedding tradition, right? Galilean Jewish wedding traditions. And in that Galilean Jewish wedding tradition, there it supposedly gives us the proof, gives us the sign, gives us the allegory, gives us the the picture of, well, Jesus' second coming. Everything we need to know about the second coming is found not here in scripture. It's found in Galilean Jewish wedding ceremonies. If we become experts on Galilean Jewish wedding ceremonies, then we can understand the second coming. Uh, Just the Bible alone, probably not sufficient. We need, I mean, that seems to be where they're going. I mean, they already said we must see this film, indicating that what what happens if I don't see this film? Something detrimental to the church, to me? What? So it seems like that they, someone spent some some considerable amount of time, let's hope, with looking at hopefully very good and primary sources, let's hope, about Galilean Jewish wedding ceremonies. And then they're going, they're going to say that these ceremonies helps us understand the doctrine of the second coming. That, that's where I feel this is going. Now, I am curious because if they have discovered some things about Galilean Jewish wedding ceremonies, I'm all for trying to understand that culture and what was happening at that time. I got no problem, but are we saying without this, we can't interpret the Bible correctly? Let, let's let's see where they go. I, that, that's where I feel they're going. You, you, you may have a different, you may have a different take, or you may have already heard this. You may be like, where have you been? My church has been talking about Galilean wedding ceremonies for 15 years. Everyone knows this. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm running, I'm running a little behind if that's the case. I, I but all right, here we go. Here we go. For example, the sold out film premiere in California, we had shockingly all walks of life from Christians from different denominations there. We even had atheists and agnostics and pastors in the audience. You know, film premiere brings in everybody. Quite honestly, this film is something that builds and builds all the way to a shocking conclusion at the very end. And people, quite frankly, were weeping and walking away and all and in shock, regardless of what your preconceived notions were when you came into it. There were non-believers asking questions about the rapture for the first time in their life. For the first time ever, the rapture no longer sounds like something that you can't believe. And welcome to the program. You've heard us talk about this product here on this program. 
and the producer of the film Before the Wrath, Brent Miller, introduced his film to actually my conference. Let me say by way of sort of update as I may. Okay. So he talked about the film premiere, people from all different walks of life, and everybody was blown away. It had a dramatic conclusion. I mean, they're really selling this. They're really selling this. But let's just find out. All right. Let me let me do this. Um, I know I hate doing this in real time on the air, but let's do a little research. Let's do a little research. I'm going to type in Olive Tree Ministry because they refer to it as a uh, a product. Okay, uh, here we go. Olive Tree Ministries. It's olivetreeviews.org. olivetreeviews.org. All right, let's see what we have here. I'm going to go to their store. I'm going to go to their store. All right, see if we can find this. It's taking forever to load. All right, let's see if we can get here. Maybe a lot of people are checking out the store right now to find this film. What I'm looking to see how much they're charging, and I'm looking to see if it says you're free to reproduce this. There's no copyright on it in any way, shape, or form. Because, again, if you've got something that the church must see, then you're clearly going to get it into every hand. You're going to be sending it to every church. You think they would just be looking in every city like, okay, here's that. We're going to send one copy to every church. You, you think, And then they would tell the pastor that he can show it to whomever he wants. You think that's the way it would go. We may not be able to get into the store. The store may be down. All right. Yeah, it's not loading. Let me see if I can stop and try again. All right, that's not good. We need to get into the store. I need to get into the store. I got to see what's going on here. Oh man, I wanted I wanted to see. Come on, you're ruining my live broadcast, guys. Come on. You're ruining my live broadcast. I I I need to I need to see this. If anybody else can get to it, Olive Tree Views, that's V I E W S dot O R G. Olive Tree Views, all run together, Olive Tree Views, V-I-E-W-S dot O-R-G. You'll see a drop-down menu. I can get to the website. I just can't get into the store. If you get into the store, look for the film Before the Wrath. A, tell me how much it is. B, tell me, do they say anything about there's no copyright on this? You're free to make copies. Share it with anyone. Um, I'm curious to know exactly what the uh, rules are. Maybe they'll, they'll, they will announce it here. I'll keep the uh, iPad trying to get in. If we get to it, I'll, I'll talk about it. But yeah, it looks like uh, the store just cannot be gotten into right now. All right. Oh, yep. It just timed out. Oh, wow. I don't know what's happening here. See, is the whole website? I know all the other sections are working fine. So that's interesting. I wonder if they're having that much of a demand for it. I wonder if they're having that much of a demand. That would be interesting. All right, we'll have to do some more research. We'll get to the information because, again, I, I look, I know when I do that, people get really mad at me. They're like, you're just being picky and you're just being a jerk. I'm not. You, you, I turn on your radio program. You must see that every church must. It's like you have to. We've got the shocking discovery. We can prove Jesus is coming back. And for $24.99, you can get a copy. Like, okay. You, you got to, 
is it just me or is it, am I just too skeptical? Am, am I just too jaded? Maybe I'm just too skeptical and jaded. Maybe I am. I don't know. But if you get in, you can let me know. All right, let's go back to this and see what they um, have to say. Adding a few comments here to set the stage for the next hour, and that is I have referred to Pastor Tom Hughes' article. He's pastor of 412 Church in San Jacinto, California. He wrote an article some years ago now. It kind of went viral. It probably was even as long as five years ago that he wrote it. The title, Five Reasons Pastors Don't Teach Bible Prophecy. Just reading a couple of bullet points. Okay, someone just found it. Before the Wrath is for sale for $8 on Prime Video from the year 2020. So that means you can rent it for $8. Um, so that I wonder if you have a Prime, because if you have an Amazon Prime account. Um, okay, no, that sounds, that sounds like the right one. That sounds like the right one. Um, I'm going to go here. I'm going to see if I can get, uh, wait here. I can get to, oh, wait, now, now, oh, I got it. All right, here we go. I'm in this store, finally. All right, well, here, here's what's happened. The, the DVD is already sold out. Uh, the DVD already sold out, <laughs> okay? So it didn't take long, okay? Um, and they're selling it for $12. So if you go to Olive Tree Ministries, it's $12. Someone's saying you have to rent, you can rent it for $4 on Amazon Prime Video or purchase it for $8. Um let me see here. They don't say anything about copyright or anything like that. A lot of times what they will have is purchase it and then you can make as many copies as you want. And the reason I know this is, well, as much as I despise and disagree with so much of things that Alex Jones has ever said, he he constantly with all of his videos and documentaries that he would make, he would say, you're free to copy it and distribute it to as many people as you want. Just get it out there. Get it out there to as many people as you want. Now, I'm just saying that sometimes I've seen people when they want to get the message out, they will give, they, they'll just do, do whatever you got to do. Copy it, share it, do whatever you want. Uh, but in this particular case, we don't know, but uh, it's already sold out uh, on their website, and uh, but you can find it. Uh, so we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about the film, but I don't have anything here giving me any information about copyrights or anything here. I was going to try to get to the actual filmmaker's website, but they don't have a hyperlink to that. All right, so we're... we're we're, we're, we, we, clearly, they're selling it. That's how much we we definitely can dogmatically say they are selling it. Don't know if they allow for you to copy it, but if they don't, then this everyone must see it. Well, for a price, for a price, for a price. Okay, um, you, you got to balance. And people say, but it costs money to make. I understand that. I understand that. But if it costs money to make, you can say, here's the film, but we're going to give you all of the information right here in a PDF file for free, but we can't give you the film because it costs us too much, but we can give you all of the information. So even if you can't purchase the film, we have it all right. I mean, there's lots of ways to getting the information if you feel that the church absolutely has to have this. There are things you can do. Let's put it that way. There's things you can do, right? You can do what I'm doing, right? You can turn on a microphone and go live on the internet and people can listen to you for free. All right. Well, we'll see if we get any more information. Here we go. Let's find out more about this uh, film. Here we go. In paragraphs, 
He says, prophecy fills the Bible. End-time prophecy touches every person alive today. Jesus taught on it. So did John, Peter, Paul, James, and Jude. Yet only a small percentage of the churches teach this crucial part of God's message to our generation. Tom goes on to say, some pastors don't teach it for theological reasons. They don't believe it. They don't think it applies to us. They consider it symbolic or whatever. And then he goes on. Others believe we're probably living near the end of the age, but still refuse to touch the topic. They see it as an elective part of God's curriculum. Take it or leave it. And then Tom concludes, and I'm skipping parts of his article. That's not how Jesus saw it. He reprimanded the Pharisees and Sadducees for not discerning the times. When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the times or the signs of the times. And then Tom concludes, more than a quarter of the Bible, actually almost a third, really, is Bible prophecy, much of it yet to be fulfilled. How can we give congregations a well-rounded understanding of Scripture if we leave out such a vital part of it? So as I begin to work with Brent Miller Jr., I would learn through his production, Before the Wrath, that 98% of our churches avoid some of the things we're going to talk about this particular hour. Tom Hughes went on for five points as to why churches are avoiding this. They don't understand it. Two, they fear offending. Three, they sense it will scare people. Four, people might not tithe if they think we're that close to the end. And five, they fear that they could look like a sort of Looney Tune fringe, such as Harold Camping and all the damage he did back in the 90s and then again in more recent years. I always bring Tom's article into discussion when we have a topic like we're going to have for the balance of the hour. Brent Miller, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Jan. It's amazing to be back on. We have carried the product. Okay, once again, we've carried the product. They keep referring to it as a product, a product, a product, a product, a product. I just, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to harp on those words, but I do agree that, and I don't think it's just biblical prophecy, right? I, I think, I know for them, everything's about biblical prophecy because that's their whole ministry is biblical. Pro- every week it's biblical prophecy, biblical prophecy. And I understand the Bible has plenty to say about biblical prophecy and I understand it cannot be ignored and it has to be taught. But when you come up with these lists and why people avoid the subject of biblical prophecy, you could come up a li- with a list of so many things many churches avoid. I've said it so many times. The problem with some churches is not what they say, it's what they will never say say, what they will never talk about, and how they will never say it, because they don't want to offend. They don't want people to leave. They don't want people to stop tithing. A lot of times, I hate that in many cases, the pulpit is held hostage out of fear of, well, people leaving and people not giving. And the reason why the, the, the pulpit is often held hostage is because the person standing behind it, well, that's his livelihood. He's got to make a living, right? I mean, it's easy for you to sit in the pew and go, well, he should just have courage and he should just, yeah. Okay, you go have courage and go tick off your boss and lose your job tomorrow. Okay, you, you, you go do that when you've got a bills to pay, a mortgage, car payment, kids you're trying to support, a wife you're trying. Yeah, it's, it's easy to talk big and bad, but when you're the pastor and you're like, oh boy, okay, if I talk about this, I talk, I'm not saying it should be that way. 
I, I wish that Christians were not so quick. As soon as they don't like something, they pack up and leave. They go, they leave the church. They pack up and leave. Now there, I'm, I, there are times it's best for everyone for someone to leave. It's sometimes, it's absolutely the best. I mean, sometimes it's probably best for the pastor to just say, hey, 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 come on. I'll carry your Bible. I'll carry your books. Let me just walk you to the car. Okay, there you go. Thank you for everything you've ever done. You see, go head on that direction. Here, here's, here's a map. Here's a GPS. It will take you to a different church. Sometimes that's literally better for everyone. That's not being mean. That's not being rude. It's just better for everyone because sometimes once people become unhappy, it becomes a cancer and it spreads and it just begins to destroy the church. Sometimes it's best for people to go. But it's also sad that you you just tick someone off and next thing you know, you're like people, they want to hear what they want to hear. They, 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 you almost just want to stand by the door of the church. You know, when people walk in on Sunday and go, can I have the sermon you want me to preach today? Can I have, okay, all right, all right, okay, all right, all right. And then you just preach what they want to hear. And I, I wish it wasn't that case, but it just demonstrates the fleshliness and the carnality and the sinfulness of everyone involved from the pastor to the people in the pew. And we, we've got to constantly fight against it. But it, it's uh, pastors are worried about talking about so many different things, not just prophecy, because you're going to offend someone. You're going to tick someone off. It's divisive-ish. Everything's divisive, right? I mean, you 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 give any interpretation. I made the joke this morning in, in our study in Jude that it, it, I can give you four possible interpretations that are out there. And if I choose one, someone's going to disagree with me. It's just the way it works. And you, ha- and you hope people can just get over some of those disagreements, but it's the reality of, of the church. So um, I just want it to be known. It's not just that. That, that everyone focuses on, well, many churches don't preach Bible prophecy and they focus on that. That's just a symptom of a deeper issue of the state of the church and, and, and in some cases, the pulpit being held hostage by people threatening to leave or people uh, stop tithing. I mean, I, I look, I've had the call. I, I've had a very good situation. In my ministry, I've had very little problems, right? Compared to what other pastors tell me. But I've even had the phone call on Monday. Hey, um, I need to meet with you. And I, I'm like, okay, I already know where it's going. And they're like, you know, we didn't really like this. And really, and you're, and you kind of keep listening and you're kind of waiting for it. You know, we just, you know, we just don't know. It, it's almost like they begin to hint, Hey, if you don't change this, we're going to leave. We're, and, and as a pastor, you got to make a decision at that moment. You've got to make a decision because typically if you go ahead and say, you, well, you're right. And I'm going to change that. The, it's over. That's the beginning of the end. Because once you change one thing, it's going to be an, one, another, 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 another. So sometimes you just have to kind of bite the bullet and say, well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Um, but, uh, I'm going to continue to kind of preach that way and can continue to preach that belief. And, uh, I apologize that you don't like it. But you're definitely free to leave, and I, it will be no problem, no no manipulation, no no any intimidation, no no attacking you in any way, shape, or form. But I, I because if you back down and you cave in, then they know. In some ways, it feels like they've got you, and they just well, it's, they're going to demand more and more and more. Maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. Just a sad reality. Every pastor gets that phone call, and it's like basically, if you don't do this, we're out the door, and you're like, okay. That's how come I don't like to know, I don't want to know who gives what in my church. I don't want to know who gives a dime. I don't, I don't want to know anything about who gives. It's like blah, 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 blah. Because the minute you know, 
then you're more prone because of flesh. Well, okay, uh, all right. Maybe I can make a little compromise for them. You shouldn't be that way, but it can happen. So, all right. They're, they're worried that churches don't teach enough Bible prophecy. We still want to know what the shocking discovery is. Here we go. We've now sold a number of copies. That's an understatement. And we've had feedback, and I'll go into that just a little bit later. And let me quickly say that participating in this film, and you've got a lot participating. You've got actors. You've got commentators, Amir Sarfati, J.D. Farag, Jack Hibbs, and others. Let's start at least with an explanation to my audience. You had unexpected delays big time. You had, let's just call it opposition. Talk to us for a minute about that. Quite honestly, in 20 years of filmmaking and working in new media, even back for MTV networks, I have never experienced the type of opposition yeah. and problems that have come up throughout the production cycle before the wrath. Even recording sessions that we had scheduled with Kevin Sorbo, who narrates the docudrama yes. down in L.A. Many will remember the L.A. fires that kind of shut everything down. Kevin Sorbo had to flee L.A., so the whole production crew not only had to delay some of the recording for a couple of months, but we had to fly all the way out to East Coast and do the recording out there. We've had deaths closely related to people on the production crew, pivotal members in post-production, which delayed things where things had to be rescheduled months later. But God is faithful and just led us through the trials, and we kept pushing forward, and he saw the film to its finish. Wonderful finish, in fact. We're going to be playing some clips, quite a few, as a matter of fact, from the film. Brent, I know, I get it, that your goal was not necessarily to focus on rapture timing. Your goal was to get people to see that, guess what, folks? There really is a rapture in the Bible. And what you did is you kind of dug it out of the ancient Jewish Galilean wedding, the Galilean Folks were actually a subculture of the Jews back in Bible times. So you found this incredible Galilean wedding that you put into actual drama. With There we have it. So the, the discovery is ancient Galilean wedding ceremony. That's the discovery. That's, that's what, that's the key we've all been missing. If we would have all been studying Galilean wedding ceremony tradition, we could have figured this out a long time ago, ladies and gentlemen. Now, but I, now look, I'm being a little sarcastic, but I, to be honest with you, I am somewhat intrigued. What, what is it about the wedding ceremony, the, the Galilean Jewish wedding ceremony specifically? What is it about it? That is the key, the hermeneutical key that unlocks all biblical prophecy in regards to the rapture and the second coming of Christ. Mike, I mean, I, are you intrigued? I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm a little bit intrigued. Let, let's see what they, where they go with this. Some commentary. I'm going to play a couple of clips, but I want to start here. I'm saying that the goal was not necessarily to focus on rapture timing. Nonetheless, this is a clip I think is important and we can discuss it. If the events prophesied within the ancient records are indeed to come to pass, then knowing the timing of the Lord's return would be of great importance. The conflict, the disagreement, the contention over the timing of the rapture, and particularly in the last 10 years, it has gone off the chart. Instead of saying, my how they love one another, as they said of the early church, now today of the church, they say, my how they fight with one another. And recent findings from organizations such as Lifeway Research confirm that the infighting 
among Christians is deepening. In one of our surveys, we asked when they thought the rapture would occur. The largest group, 36%, believe that the rapture will occur pre-tribulation. But if that's the largest group, that means there's not a majority believing any one thing about the rapture. In addition to the 36% that believe the rapture will occur before the tribulation period begins, 4% of Christians believe it will happen in the middle. 18% believe the rapture will happen at the end. An additional 13% consist of other timing variations and theories. 4% just aren't sure about any of it. And surprisingly, the remaining 25%, a growing statistic, no longer believe in a literal rapture at all. Your point was not so much. Now, what I love about this is this is not a an issue just restricted to eschatology or rapture. No, this is an issue in the entire church over everything. We fight over everything. We disagree over everything. It's It's just... It's a disease. We are not coming any closer to unity in the body of Christ. We are more fragmented, more everyone believes what they want. Everyone gives their own interpretation. It's just, it's, it's so, it's, it's the never ending frustration with me. I think that, and, and my, this is what I feel from the time I became a Christian as a teenager to where we are in 2022. I think it's worse than I've ever seen. That it's just, Everyone has an opinion. Everyone thinks they're right. Everyone has an interpretation. Everyone thinks everyone else is wrong. Everyone thinks that everyone else is wrong. It's just disagreement. Now, there's always been disagreement. Please hear me out. There's always been disagreement. And I understand when you're a young Christian, you don't quite recognize it and understand it. You're just like, ooh, I'm learning. And But then over, but I saw the disagreement, but I just feel like it's more divided, more divisive, more it, it seems like we're not growing in our understanding we, that now we can't seem to figure out anything. We can't seem to figure out any scripture. It seems like our, our ability to handle the scripture is getting worse, not better. It seems our ability to, to even understand basic biblical hermeneutical rules has gotten worse. I, I don't know why, but it's gotten worse. They, they're worried about the fact that basically you don't even have a clear you. you a, a clear majority on any major views in regards to many things related to to eschatology because people are just so, I think some people are just like, I'm just tired of it. I'm just, I'm so tired of nobody can agree. It, and at, 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 I, at times I've reached my point where I've just wanted to throw up my hands and like, what is even the point? I, 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 I preach A, someone's going to say B. I preach B, someone's going to say A. I turn on the microphone and talk, talk th- teach this, someone's going to say you're wrong. It, it's just, it's like, you just want to just say, what is the problem? 2,000 years. We've got more tools available to us than at any time in church history. We've got commentaries. We've got access to interlinear where we can look up the Greek and Hebrew in seconds. We can do cross-reference, cross-referencing in literal minutes. We've got Bible study uh, methods that have been clearly handed down for many, many, many years. We've got basically, you can get a seminary education every week with just your phone. We've got, we've got everything and it's not bringing more light. It seems to only be creating more darkness. So if they're, if they think it's bad when it comes to eschatology, it's bad about every area of theology. All right. But I still want to get to the, the supposed shocking discovery. 
to discuss timing, though I'm so glad you brought out the contention because, look, I'm a victim of it, so I know how horrific it's gotten. Absolutely. The most terrifying thing that we learned while we were working with LifeWay Research on a lot of the trends occurring within the church today is just how many pastors and Christians within the body of Christ no longer believe in the rapture Mm -hmm. at all. And that statistic is exploding year after year. Even the data that we heard Kevin Sorbo talking about there about the different percentages, that's shifting and getting worse. It's getting worse. Where there's more views about the end times and Christ's return. And the reason why I say the Messiah's return is because there is such biblical illiteracy in the church Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. most Christians today no longer know the difference between the rapture, the second coming, the day of the Lord, the tribulation. Mm -hmm. They have no idea. And again, that's because it kind of points back to what you just previously mentioned at the beginning of the show is that up to 98% of churches are marginalizing prophecy. They're not talking about it at all. So it's no wonder there's incredible confusion about even what the rapture is, never mind. And see, this is where I get so frustrated. Everyone keeps saying biblical illiteracy is everywhere. Everyone keeps saying biblical illiteracy, biblical. Everyone acknowledges biblical illiteracy is the problem. And no one has yet come up with the solution. So then what they always say is, well, the church isn't teaching. The church isn't teaching. The church isn't teaching. Well, let me, at some point, when can, now look, I've spent a good portion of my life having no problem laying the blame at the doorway of every church. But at some point, when do we look at the average everyday Christian and go, nope, the fault is yours. It's not your church. You are to blame because there's a million resources available to you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There are literal apps for free where you can listen to millions of sermons on biblical prophecy, theology proper, soteriology, pneumatology. You name the area of study. It's right there available to you for free. You have access to books. You can download systematic theologies for a Kindle, in some cases for for cheap. You've got everything that you could want and need, and biblical literacy is growing. I'm tired of everyone blaming the church at this point. I, I think there was a time that the blame needed to be placed at the door of the church. Okay, but you know what? First of all, everyone blamed the church, and then they sat in the very kind of church that they were blaming. I watched this when Paul Washer had his famous sermon, uh, The Ten Indictments Against the Modern Church. Oh, everyone was like, amen, amen. Oh, man, the modern church is garbage. And every time I would hear someone say that, tell me about your church. And then I would go look it up, and I'm like, literally... Eight of these indictments is against your church, but they don't want a church any different than that. They claim it. So at some point, stop blaming churches. Blame the Christians who seem to be very happy and content with the illiteracy that they should be very aware that they possess. At some point, I'm tired of like, it's everyone else's fault. No, 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 it's yours. You own a Bible, right? You own a Bible, right? You own a notebook, right? You you can download the Blue Letter Bible app for free, right? Okay, you can learn some basic Bible study methods, right? So what do you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Oh, yeah, you do everything other than study. You do everything else than use the resources that are available to you. So I'm tired of everyone getting blamed for biblical illiteracy. It's time the individuals take responsibility. I know that wasn't nice, but I'm just tired of all the excuses. I'm just tired of it. At some point, it's just, it's nobody else's fault but the individual Christians. And and they keep blaming the church. Well, if you keep blaming the church, why are you going to a church that's making you biblically illiterate? What are you doing to fix it or change it? You still want those fellowships. You still want those activities. You still want those plans. You still want everything other than any actual meaningful study. So 
yeah, I, I'm, I've grown very tired of all of the excuses, but we still want to know about this discovery. They're, they're taking a while to get there. Let, let's see if we can get here. And the timing and how it's even exactly. supposed to be part of God's plan. You said a key couple of words just a second ago. You said there are more views. Of course, there's always been many views on the end times. We've got all millennialism, which I think is doing great damage. We've got kingdom now, theology, which again, church is making the world perfect, etc. And we've even got preterism. We've got some other theologies that I would call aberrations. But these other theologies, some of these aberrations, they have just exploded here in recent years and decades, which probably falls under the great apostasy. And I'm going to get to the great apostasy in just a minute because you've got an outstanding clip we're going to play here. But the more views is huge. Now, there's always been views, but the biblical illiteracy hasn't been as bad as it is. In the last 10 years, the views are just popping up out of nowhere. And like you stated, there's always been various views and conflicts and debates, but it's always been a minority. And now we're seeing that it's becoming the majority. Only 36% of Christians, which I think a lot of people find shocking, believe in a pre-trib rapture. Yes. That's actually almost as many as those that don't even believe that in That don't even believe in one. That and is correct. just to clarify, we're not talking about everybody in the United States, the whole population. We're mm-hmm. talking about the Christians in the United States. It's shocking. I'm glad you clarified that. You found this intriguing subculture, Galilee, and the wedding that the Jewish Galileans had. How did this even come about? Was this something you discovered? Not me personally. Because we specialize in eschatology research, we work with a lot of amazing pastors and researchers in the Middle East, archaeologists out there, and our film crews are filming in Israel and Turkey and the surrounding area quite often. What we discovered is that there were so many anthropologists, those studying first century cultures, and those finding, digging up artifacts in the Galilean area, that it actually was brought to me by a couple of the researchers we work closely with who stated that some of these new discoveries that we've made in the last 10 years, nobody is talking about. And it is all related to the Jewish wedding, absolutely. But the reason why we kind of focus in more on the subculture of the Galilean wedding specifically, even though it is a Jewish wedding, is because even though in the past there's been some amazing parallels made between the Jewish wedding and what Christ prophesied about his return, There's always been some missing pieces to the puzzle, if you will. When you focus in on the Galilean wedding, all of a sudden those pieces are exposed, and now the entire picture, prophetic timeline, if you will, now clicks into place. And it's so perfect that even a non-believer can watch this and say, wow, that makes perfect sense. like to play a clip and back up. Oh, so there we go. So it's the Galilee. So they, they keep saying that, that that's the that was the missing piece. Once we st- you can study Jewish wedding ceremonies, but it's specifically the Galilean Jewish wedding ceremony that fits puts all the pieces together, and then it, well, the biblical timeline comes into to, into focus. Everything makes sense. So so if you're going to study the Bible about biblical prophecy, one of the courses you need to take is a course on Galilean Jewish wedding tradition. That's what they are claiming. That's what they are claiming that this this is the missing puzzle piece. This is what we've all been looking for. Now they're going to play a clip. We're not going to be able to finish all of this, but uh, but at least I'm going to bring this to your attention and you know where to go so that you can listen to the rest of it. It's something that we we all – we hey, everyone who listens, we may need to do a little bit of research into the Galilean, uh, Galilean Jewish wedding ceremony to see what we can actually find. What I'm curious, is there complete agreement on it that we – 
Does everyone agree this is exactly the way it went down? And then we have to ask ourselves, are we, are we reading it back into the text? In other words, we can find something in archaeology and go, ooh, and then are, do we shove it back into the text where it doesn't belong, where we're guilty of imposing a narrative on the text? That would be wrong. Or is it the correct way to actually understand the text? There's lots of questions here. Let, let's continue. What Brent has just said. This sparked an ambitious research project, and fragments of new insight began to expose the forgotten ways of the ancient Galileans. You know that two-thirds of the gospel took place in a little strip of land by the Sea of Galilee. Two-thirds of the gospel. It actually makes no sense. You really think about it. Most of the Jews didn't live there, but yet two-thirds of the gospel took place right there. So you cannot ignore the culture and the people the life and the habits of those days. And that's why the Galileans are playing such a big part. There are a lot of other people who have a lot of pieces to the puzzle. And a lot of other people are working on the same projects. It's an enormous research project to make sure that you find it and get it right. Because there were so many people bringing up little bits and pieces of this. I'm thinking, there's got to be a pattern here. And there was. Pieces to a puzzle that formed a prophetic timeline woven throughout the ancient scriptures that directly references an ancient Galilean ceremony, a ceremony that was passed on through generations to foretell how and why Christ will return in the last days of the world. And of all the ancient ceremonies this secret could have been hiding, it was discovered within a one-of-a-kind wedding. The ancient Jewish wedding in the Galilee. You heard the voice there of Amir Sarfati because those making some comments into the film include Amir, J.D. Farag, Jack Hibbs, yours truly, Jay McCarl from Lifeway Research. Kevin Sorbo is the narrator of the film. And then you've got Brent, is it between 60 and 100 actors and extras? Almost 100 actors and extras and crew. I think you paint the most stunning picture when it comes to using the Last Supper and the cup of wine. And I'll play a clip that's going to illustrate that. And folks, some of you listening by radio, you can see these clips on our YouTube channel, Jan Markell, Olive Tree Ministries. We post these kinds of images, videos, etc. on our His Channel programming. If you're more visual and you'd like to see some of the things that we're showing you, that's where you need to go to see them. Otherwise, we're trying to paint a picture with audio and we do the best we can. Talk to me a little bit, Brent, here about how you've tapped into The Last Supper. And I am talking to Brent Miller for the hour, Brent Miller Jr. He is the writer, producer, director of the film. All right, so they, they mentioned <laughs> the wedding, and now they jumped right now. They're going to jump to The Last Supper. I still want to know what it is about the Galilean wedding ceremony that supposedly fixes all of our understanding about biblical prophecy. Is this the, if, if everyone understands Galilean Jewish wedding ceremony, does everyone now adopt the same eschatology and the church is no longer divided on it? Is, is that, is it that clear? They seem to make it sound like it's absolutely that clear. Now they're going to jump to the, the Lord's Supper. Are they going to relate this back to the Galilean wedding ceremony? It's really a little disjointed here, but let's see if they're going to put it together that we are carrying and that we've promoted and some of you have ordered from us and some of you have ordered from other places. Talk to me a little bit about the Last Supper, the cup of wine, and then we'll play a clip to illustrate this. This is one of the shocking discoveries mm -hmm. when we were going over a lot of this evidence with our partners in the Middle East, that you find a lot more understanding in the Galilean subculture. We have to remember that Jesus was a Galilean. Yes. 
he related to kind of the, the intricacies in this culture very closely, especially with his disciples. What we find is that in Galilee, that the bride would be offered a cup of wine by the groom mm-hmm. in order to conclude a betrothal for marriage. What many don't understand, especially here in modern Western culture, is that the bride actually had all the power and authority during that process. We think of women in the first century as not having any kind of authority, which was true in the outside areas, outside of Galilee, outside of Israel, and in pagan societies. But in the Israeli wedding betrothal, the bride was offered a cup of wine. If she drank from it, then she would be accepting right. the groom and she would be betrothed. But she had the option, all of the power, completely up to her by choice, to push the cup away and reject the groom. And everything would be off, no questions asked. But that's not even the most amazing part. We're already beginning to see the parallels with Christ and his disciples at the mm-hmm. Last Supper. Are you saying the bride of Christ could say no to Jesus? Like, the bride of Christ is the one who has the power? Like, where is this going here? Okay, I, I, I'm trying to figure this out. Okay, all right, so, <laughs> oh man, we're already at an hour. Okay, we won't be able to finish this. It was never the intention to finish it anyway, but I wanted to at least get like, Here's the discovery. Now you go listen to the rest. But all right, well, maybe I'm just going to get you not even that far, but you can go listen to the rest. All right, let, let's at least get through this part. But the shocking part is that in the wedding betrothal, the groom would then drink from the cup of wine next. And after also drinking from the cup of wine, the groom would say, I will not drink of this cup again until I do it renewed with you in my father's house, which is very similar to what we hear Christ say at the Last Supper. Absolutely. And this is portrayed in a stunningly beautiful way in the film. Again, the film is Before the Wrath. You can find it in our store, olivetreeviews.org, olivetreeviews.org. You can give my office a call. You'll find it in our various newsletters. Brent, I want to play that clip here of the Last Supper illustration, but I think you are offering some combo packs, things like that beyond the single DVD, because that's what we're offering is the single DVD. But I think you have some packages, correct? Yes. The film is also available on a Blu-ray plus DVD combo pack. Also, we have bundles that come with a book, which gives kind of a deeper description of Mm -hmm. some of the Jewish wedding culture that's involved. And those bundles are available at beforetherath.com. You have to get the various bundles at beforetherath.com. You can get the single DVD. From Olive Tree Ministries, olivetreeviews.org. This is starting to sound more like a commercial than it is actually trying. Like, everyone must hear this, but they still have not really given me, like, they didn't even really explain. Well, the bride could push away the wine. Ooh, okay. The the groom would drink it and say, I won't partake of this again until my father's house. Okay, that's very similar to what Jesus said. Okay, now that's interesting. That's interesting. All right, what am I supposed to do with that? Are we absolutely sure that's what was said? And so Jesus was repeating that. And if he was repeating that, then how do we understand the significance of that in relation to the establishment of the Lord's Supper? There, there's lots of, uh, there's questions here, but they seem like just give you a little bit of information so that you'll go buy the product, which then calls it into question, are you wanting to minister? Or are you wanting to sell me a product? And that, that's that's where I get frustrated with so much of Christianity. But let's see if they're, they're going to play this clip. 
I want to back up what you've said about the Last Supper, how it is tied into the story with a real short clip. Then it focuses down onto the moment where everyone holds their breath. What happens is the bridegroom is then handed a pitcher of wine. The groom then pours wine into a ceremonial cup that will be offered to his desired bride-to-be. And it was called the cup of joy. With both hands, reverently and respectfully and fearfully, he would pass it to his bride. When the groom presents the cup, she now has the choice to, uh, as to whether or not she will accept or reject this proposal for marriage. So the bride of Christ, at, at some point we can reject, quote unquote, being married to him. Like, I, that's what I'm not understanding. So uh, is this is this supposed to picture, are, are they trying to use this to support some kind of libertarian free will concept? Like, I, I like where... I, I'm not trying, I'm trying to understand the correlation here, right? So maybe they're going to explain it in a minute. The moment the cup is handed to the bride, she's given all power to stop the wedding by pushing the cup back and rejecting the bridegroom. Contrary to all other wedding customs in the Middle East, the bride in a Galilean wedding possessed the final authority she alone had the power to accept or reject the offer from the groom. The betrothal could not be completed without her willing acceptance to drink from the cup of wine. But on this day, during this betrothal, the bride accepts. The groom will then also take and drink from the cup, solidifying the new covenant. But then he says something truly profound. Then the bridegroom says publicly so everyone can hear, you are now consecrated to me by the laws of Moses, and I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it anew with you in my father's house. But to understand why this phrase is so profound, we must look at another act recorded later in the scriptures. During the Last Supper, Jesus offered a cup of wine to his disciples to signify a new covenant with them. And after his disciples drank from the cup, Jesus then said something similar to what a Galilean would have heard from their own weddings. He said, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And the point you are making, Brent? The reason why Jesus used a Jewish wedding, I mean specifically a Galilean mm -hmm. wedding, is because his disciples were all Galileans, with the exclusion of Judas, of course. They were all Galilean. And Jesus used parables and metaphors with people about the way things were in heaven, about spiritual truths. It's not a coincidence at all that so much of what Christ revealed to his Galilean disciples about the end of days and his return at the end of days, which they heard it before anybody else, by the way. I mean, they came and asked him, tell us about 
this time that you're coming back, is that, of course, the way for them to understand it the most was to use something that was already ingrained by their culture. In fact, I believe God predetermined that ingrainment in their culture ahead of time because mm. it was for God's glory, because it was the prophetic timeline to the first coming through the rapture to the second coming of Christ at the end of days. So they could completely understand the spiritual relationship between becoming the bride of Christ because they related to these things in their own wedding. I'm going to have Jack Hibbs weigh in here and back up some of the things you've just said. He talks here about it's the Galileans who would have understood all of this. But Jesus warns that many will not accept his offer to attend his wedding feast, that there will be many that choose to be separated from him for all of eternity, those that will be left behind. When they get to the Father's house, everybody piles into the compound now, and the feast is set and ready to go, and the door is shut behind them. And no one leaves, and no one comes in for seven days and nights. And in ancient Galilee, if you were locked out, there was no getting in. There are so many people who know about it, believer and non-believer. Oh yeah, I've heard about the rapture. Oh yeah, Jesus is supposed to come back. I've heard about this. Listen, hearing about it's not enough. In fact, we know from Galilean experience from first century that you not only had to be ready, you had to have enough oil, you had to get, you had to get in, you had to get into that wedding. And then the door was shut. By the way, once the door was shut, it was shut. Those who were out, were out. And you think about the, the incredible, terrifying reality of knowing that Christ said he would come back and to then be shut out, to be left out. And yet Jesus was warning us in those parables. He was warning. Brett Miller, I think this is sort of a left behind illustration. Am I right? All right. We will stop there. That's the latest episode of Understanding the Times by Olive Tree Ministries. You can find it anywhere. If you can't find it, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. I'll send you the link to their actual website. If you want to find their actual website, you can uh, look for it. Let me see here if I have it here. Uh, Olive Tree Views. That's Olive Tree Views all run together. Olive Tree Views, V-I-E-W-S dot O-R-G. It, the, the latest episode is called He's Coming for His Bride, and you can listen to the rest. We ha There's over 34 minutes left. Go find it. Go listen to it. You can hear everything they have to say. According to them, that through archaeological discovery and, and, and research, they have discovered the Galilean Jewish wedding ceremony, and supposedly that is the key to unlocking all of our understanding about biblical prophecy. They've given us at least... Supposedly a similar saying said by the groom in the Galilean Jewish wedding ceremony, they will not drink of the cup until he's in his father's house, and that Jesus said the same thing in the Lord's Supper. They didn't really quite explain the significance of it other than that Galileans would have understood that language and that all the disciples were Galileans except Jewish, Judas. Okay, they didn't really say like, okay, how, how does this help us fix everything? Then they, they're going a little bit further into that, that everyone would come in, they would shut the door. If the door was shut, you couldn't get in. Okay, all right. They're, they're, they're borrowing from some of this. And there's no question that maybe G Jesus in some of his parables and some of his stories borrowed from Galilean culture 
That would make perfect sense. So I've got no problem trying to understand all of this, but there's still so many like, the way they describe it is this is the key to everything. And I'm still kind of like, okay, I, I do want to understand more about the Galilean culture and the Galilean ceremonies so that I may have a better understanding of why Jesus made certain phrases. But I got to be very careful not to just to grab everything from a Galilean a Galilean Jewish wedding ceremony and then just grab it and go, oh, 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 I know what I'll do. That That fits right here into the Bible. That fits right here into the Bible and make it the hermeneutical key. I'm making the hermeneutical key something outside of the Bible that I'm imposing back on the Bible in order to understand the Bible. Now, it may be of great interest, and we we may want to pursue a little bit more on this, and I'm going to see what we can discover and find. They supposedly have a book, um, not from Olive Trees, but from the person who, uh, who uh, Brent Miller Jr., um, I think beforetherath.com is the name of their website. I'm going to see if they have the book. I would be interested to see the book. I don't, I, because I want it in writing and see if there are footnotes where they supposedly got the information and then look at it and go, okay, here's actually how the ceremony worked. Do, okay, okay, do we see a little bit of that used in this parable or in this discussion or in this discussion? I don't think it's as profound maybe as they're making it out to be because you think if it was as profound as they thought it was 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 that they would have given us they would have they would have started it with the like here's the shocking discovery but they don't start it with that they they basically they just give us a little bit of tidbits and like you buy the buy the buy the content buy the content buy but you have to have it because without it you can't understand your bible yeah I I'm very skeptical but it's something that we may want to well we not we need to we need to pursue it we need to see exactly what it means and where it's going we need to we need to pursue this so if anyone wants to help me if anyone wants to help here's what i would ask you to do see what you can start uncovering about galilean galilean jewish wedding ceremony traditions first let's see if we can establish some basic outline of how the ceremony worked and see if we can find basic agreement on that. And then we can say, hmm, this seems to fit here. This seems to fit here. This seems to fit here. Once we think that there's a there's a correlation in language and imagery that's used, then we can stop and ask ourselves, what does it mean? And does it unlock an understanding that we did not have to have prior? Because clearly they don't own the, the information about Galilean wedding ceremony traditions. They don't own that information. So that information has to be found in other publications and other studies. And we see what we can put together. And let's see. We'll 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 try. I'm not going to call this a part one, but we will try to pursue this further and see if we can circle back around to it. I don't want to turn this into a lengthy series, but hey, if over nine over 900 Christian radio stations played what we just heard today, I would start with go listen to the rest of it. Go listen to the rest of that. Understanding the times. Listen to the rest. Take listen carefully for anything they say about the Galilean wedding ceremony, and then. Let's see what we can discover and find. If you find anything, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, because I'm, I'm, they at least got me interested in that. I'm just not, I'm still skeptical in a little bit of this, but we're at an hour and 14 minutes, so that took much longer than I wanted. Let's see what we can uncover, right? Let's see what we can do. So anybody wants to help, let's, let's start working on it and see what information we can gather and see what we can discover. All right, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. 
I'll stop. We'll be back in, I don't know, about 15 minutes, and we'll do the uh, the next part of our series, 30 Scriptures in 30 Days, because we have to definitely get that done today because we're not going to skip a day. So we will get that done here in just about 15 to 30 minutes. So just be ready for us to go live again for that. So thank you for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.